I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Tainus Hoopers family. It's been a while since I got behind the mic and got into one of these podcasts. I'm happy to be back. I'm at the new house, new internet, finally set up and ready to go. I'm with Jack Borman, Tainus Hoopers contributor, friend of the show, virtual uh co-host at this point i think jack what's going on man not a whole lot man just kind of waiting out this this draft and and uh in free agency starting and and then summer league so we've we've got a a fun few weeks coming up but man it has been it has been a very slow july um Mm -hmm. and, and i know we can't complain about slow julys after what happened last year but um (laughs) man let me tell you it i've I haven't felt burnout from a Timberwolves content perspective ever until I think this year, um, and and it's it's hit it's hit kind of hard, but it's it's been it's been a ton of fun to to be um, to be writing about the Lynx and um, and boy oh boy were they were they playing well right before the Olympic break they won seven in a row, um, hottest team in WNBA, um, so so it's going to be a lot of fun to to be in person for for all of their games for the rest of the season, which will which will be um, Really, really cool. So, so yeah. But, but other than the Lynx just crushing it, man, on the Wolves front, there's just <laughs> there there hasn't been a whole lot. So I'm so I'm excited to get into get into Where, a few things here. Where's the drama? Where's our usual <laughs> Timberwolves drama? This is so boring. Well, I mean, like, depending you, if you count like every... trade requests and you know <laughs> upset players and and people wanting to leave and and now we just got nothing. It's too harmonious at the moment. I hate it. If you count everybody bitching about Ben Simmons. Like there's your drama, I guess. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just been odd. Like there was the, I guess we did have the ant ankle where everybody freaked out there for a couple hours. Um, yeah, I fell into a pit of depression for about three hours there. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, it was it was tough because like I there was a Lynx game that night, and so um, I like found out about it right before I left the office to go to Target Center and. So then Kyle actually called me um, while I was driving. I was like, hey, I'm driving. Like before I left, I was like, hey, I'm going to be driving. Let me know if anything happens. He was like, yeah, it's just a, just an ankle. So, yeah, that was good. And then uh, and then getting downtown, it sounded like the vibe down there was, was, you know, was fine. That no one was really too concerned. Um, and, yeah, and now and we see, and now we see have... with, with John's article that went out today, um, the mailbag said that, now there's even some internal discussions going on about Ant potentially playing in summer league, um, um, which which is interesting. You know, I, I don't know if he'll play in games, but even just being able to practice with that squad, I think would be would be big. Um, so so hopefully we've got that going. 
Yeah, and and we do plan today on talking a little bit of summer league stuff and a little bit of uh, player development kind of side of things. But I think to begin with, we will start with some more NBA-centric news, which is Damian Lillard. Um, There's been kind of varying reports. The one from Henry Abbott from True Hoop yesterday was pretty blunt and straightforward that he's going to request a trade in the coming days, maybe even by the time... You've heard this, um, that that news cycle has changed slightly, but as we speak, the the thought, the feeling is that he's going to request a trade coming soon, obviously on the back of the Chauncey Billups hiring, um, the string of first-round exits, um, the management in general in Portland. All of that stuff kind of seems to be contributing to, to this impending trade request. And then there's also been... Uh, reports that, that that stuff isn't true. I think Lillard himself said on radio today that that, that isn't true. Um, I don't have the source in front of me, so I apologize for not Yeah, so, so I, I, I can jump in there. So he actually had post-practice uh, media availability with USA Basketball today after their practice in Las Vegas. Um, it was closed door, um, but but it was broadca- it was picked up live by, by Portland Radio. So I listened to it live on, on Portland Radio. Um, but yeah, essentially what he said was, you know, it's not true that that I'm going to request a trade. He said that all of his conversations with Olshay have been, you know, between the two of them. Um, he said what he's had to say. He he, th- he doesn't think that the roster as it currently stands is a championship caliber roster, and he's pretty much given the ultimatum of upgrade the roster or I'm going to leave. Um, but he did say today, um, bluntly and flatly, that he expects to be a, a Portland Trailblazer this upcoming season. So. Um, I, I think that he did a very good job of, of kind of walking the tightrope of, you know, having worded things in a, in a way that uh, kind of gives him an out where, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think it was kind of set up where, you know, if he then requests out, he can say, well, I said, hey, you have this opportunity and, and then you blew this opportunity it was kind of the way that I took it. But but yeah, I, I think it kind of screams go get Ben Simmons or an impact, you know, needle moving guy, um, or I'm out. And and it seems like Simmons is is really the, the biggest fish that's out there that's ready to move, I think. Because Beal is essentially just like a a a kind of souped up version of CJ McCollum. Like their their problems are not scoring, you know? Yeah. Yeah. and obviously, uh anything Anything relating to Ben Simmons is going to come back into Timberwolves circles because there obviously is, you know, reported interest in him, and we know that Gerson Rosas is definitely interested in him. Just in in the the mantra that he's operated with during his time in Minnesota, whether they have the assets and and whatnot to acquire him is a completely different story. But sticking with Portland, do you think do you think CJ McCollum and maybe assets or CJ McCollum straight swap is is the kind of deal that will get Daryl Morey to the to the table and to, to start really discussing kind of moving on from Simmons? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, people in the league know that I, I think that we're kind of at a point of no return with Simmons in Philly. Like, I, I just don't know how you can keep him on the team after the comments that Embiid made, the comments that Rivers made, um you know, and then some of the other pieces that have come out about some of the internal dialogue about Simmons and, and kind of the, the process of, of how his development has played out over the last few years. Um, it, it's just, it, it, 
I just don't see a conclusion that that um, is uh, is not him playing in a different uniform at the start of this upcoming season. Um, and yeah, I think that Portland makes a lot of sense. I think that you know Philadelphia really needs a guy that can set the table and create for everybody while also stretching the floor. Um, and so CJ can certainly do that. Um, he's one of the 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 best secondary you know creators off the dribble in the entire NBA he can get his own shot. Obviously, he's a very good three point shooter, um, and that's very valuable. But but again, like CJ is CJ is kind of in that D'Angelo Russell category of you know very good player, but is overpaid and could probably you know prevent your team from completely getting over the hump in the playoffs just because his salary number is so big. Um, relative to what he's going to give you. So, um, and, and they're very one-way players as well. So, um, you know, I think that they need a more impactful offensive player than CJ McCollum um, if they were doing it straight up. So I think that it would probably make sense for them um, to trade CJ McCollum and other assets, whether that be, um, you know, a player like Anthony Simons or, um, you know, um, the cupboards or, are pretty bare. Yeah, yeah I mean, they just, like they just don't really. Ernest or Little maybe is like another, you know, another guy that they can put on the wing in Philadelphia to, you know, to help shore up some of the defense um, that, that Ben Simmons is going to take with him to to Portland if if he does get traded. But, um, you know, like like you're saying that Portland just doesn't have very many guys that they could feasibly trade. Um, because they, they have very few guys that are actually impactful that play, um, at the back end of their, um, at at the back end of the rotation. And and when that's the case, it's just tough to try and make deals with, with teams that are really cap hamstrung. I mean, you know, for this upcoming season, the only players they have that are getting paid less than $9 million are, are, uh, Simon's little and Ellaby. So. Um, no, that just, that just makes it really tough because you have, you know, Rhonda Hellas Jefferson, Harry Giles, Carmelo, um, uh, Enos Cantor, all guys that were, that are making under that, you know, $7 million mark that are, are free agents this upcoming, or this summer. So, um, Portland is in, is in a really tough spot. And I think Portland's best case, I think is or best case to Dame would be going and getting Simmons because I don't know how else that team makes a needle-moving uh, trade. How, how much do you think Simmons moves the needle for them? Like, they, I don't think they're com- I don't think they're contenders in the West with Simmons. I think they're probably better than they were this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely don't think that they're going to be contenders. Um, and, I, and I think that Dame knows that. Um, but I just think that Dame... I think Dame really does not want to be the bad guy because I think Dame has so aggressively spoken out against people who, um, no, I think the quote that he used last summer was running from the grind of building a team and, and a culture and a franchise by yourself. And, um, and, and I think that he's kind of seen the treatment that, that guys have gotten for going back on their word. Um, and, and he doesn't want to be as explicit about it, but I think he also realizes like, Hey, I'm, 30 or 31 I'm 31 now just turned 31 I think last weekend um and my clock's ticking man and and I'm playing like a superhuman you know I'm when I'm out there you saw that game what was it game five against Denver game four 
um, when he just went bananas and he got no help at all. And, um, and I think you see that and it's understandable that that's what, what has kind of caused him to change. But, but with Simmons, you know, that definitely makes them a, a top, you know, 20 ish defense as opposed to being the worst defense just automatically off the bat. And then if they keep Robert Covington, um, you know, I think that's a really formidable, you know, wing duo uh, defensively. And, and Yusuf Nurkic isn't terrible um, as a big inside uh, on the defensive end. And then, and then you still have Nasir Little, too, who, who's also, you know, a very solid, uh, you know, defensive wing. Um, but, but man, like, other than that, it, it's really tough because they're just going to have to hope that, you know, guys are coming on these four, five, six, seven, eight, nine million dollar range. And, and I don't know if you're Olshay, given all the shit that's come out about you personally, your front office, your owner, um, how you're going to be able to convince guys to come play in Portland, knowing that if it doesn't prove to be any better than this iteration, this current iteration of the Blazers, that he's just going to ask out. You know what I mean? So maybe they get guys for a year, um, but then you're kind. You could very well be back to the same problem again next year. So I mean, at least at the very least, you know that with Dame, you will not have issues outscoring other teams. It's just a matter of getting stops, and and some of that's on Dame himself too. Um, but he was hor- he was horrible defensively defensively this year, and he hasn't been. He was he's never been good, but he he had that reputation, that David Vanderpool reputation that that Vanderpool helped him and CJ kind of get to a passable level. But for the last two or three years, man, he he's been a sieve defensively, and and I know that he gets less slack than than anyone else in that team, and and deservedly so because he he is the reason why they make the playoffs every year, and and even if it just is a first round exit, it's it's still the playoffs every year, and it's still all on Dame, the reason that they are semi-successful but like their defense it, it, it's hard to to have such a, a high scoring guard who doesn't play any defense and then you put him alongside McCullum and you put him alongside guys like Simons and and even you know Nurkic can be exposed at times even though I do rate Nurkic as a defender he he is quite lumbering and, and, and slow against certain matchups it's it's a recipe for for disaster kind of there defensively and I don't know how much Simmons actually fixes that just like I don't know how much he fixes Minnesota defensively but he he certainly makes them better and when you have Dame there you're obviously going to compete offensively every night and, and maybe the the old Timberwolves mantra of solid is enough defensively kind of you know uh, gets them over the hump and but but what is over the hump that's that's my that's what I keep coming back to is is over the hump a Western Conference Finals is it a, a second round like I don't see them being better than that and I still think the West even with some injuries that that will linger into next year, like Kawhi Leonard's and and Jamal Murray's, uh, I just think that the West is still really strong, man. Like like it's still going to be very hard to to get over the hump in 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 that conference. And and I don't know, I just don't know what I what I would be thinking right now if I'm a Blazers fan because I think they're they're truly stuck in NBA purgatory at the moment. Like they're just it's they're stuck in the middle. I, I don't know if if maybe just tearing it down and trading both Lillard and McCullum for a bunch of young guys and a bunch of picks and really just going the long route is is the best way here like that that's what teams do that's what you have to do to become competitive I think um at some stages and right now 
it kind of feels that way for the Blazers. Like I don't, I don't think they have a retool in them really, unless it's someone better than Simmons. But who, like, that, I, that's, I just don't see that's, anybody come, coming out and saying I, I want out, and then being okay with going to Portland. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And like, I think Lillard is in the sweet. He's in the Kevin Garnett kind of spot right now, where if he leaves, he I don't think he'll get as much backlash as as a lot of other guys because he's clearly given it his all for the franchise and he's done it for a long time and and they haven't surrounded him with the pieces that he needs to become a champion or to become a perennial contender and that that was what it was like with Garnett here and and I think that he didn't receive much vitriol when he when he left just because it it made sense even to people who were his biggest fans and to people who were Timberwolves fans it made sense for him to leave and I think that Dame's in that same same spot at the moment. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, and, you know, people want to point to, like, you know, Dame can't pitch about the defense because he's terrible defensively himself. I mean, you just want to look at at offensive output in percentiles, okay? Like, over the last, you know, over the last seven seasons, eight seasons, he has been in the 90th percentile or higher in terms of offensive impact, it's like offensive EPM, every single season. The last four seasons, 94, 98, 98, 100. That's outrageous. And his, and, and he was never, and he was, you know, in 2019, he was 2019 and 2018, he was a positive defender relative to other point guards, which is, which is pretty yeah. impressive to me. Those were that those David Vanderpool years. Yeah, exactly. Like. Yeah, and so, like, I, I I just don't think that like you you can't have a passable defense with Dame there. Um, I, like I, I just don't believe that. Um, and I think well, if you look at like you look at the playoffs this year, I think one um, thing that's been broken to pieces is that that a a guy a superstar who's not a great defender can't ever lead a team to wins like Trey Young pretty much single-handedly kind of smashed that to pieces because he's still the terrible defender that he always has been but with the right team building and with the right guys around him they made that passable and they and they made his offense be able to outshine his his poor defense and, and that's what Lillard like that can happen and it that's for Minnesota fans listening as well like that can happen with D'Angelo Russell but you need to put the puzzle pieces, you know, very carefully in place around that that weak link if you want to, you want to kind of get a defense that can succeed enough to win games. Yeah, I mean, and, and what we've learned over the last few years too, and, and I think this is obviously a huge bet that, that the Minnesota front office is making is that, you know, excellent offense is going to beat excellent defense every single time, and, and it, over the course of a series. Like, if you like if the number one offense played the number one defense, the number one offense is very, very, very likely going to win. Um, and, and everybody would rather have the number one offense than the number one defense. Um, and, and so, you know, as it relates to to Portland, like, yeah, you know, they're just not in a position where, where they're going to be able to have, you know, a number one offense and then also have a defense that's going to be able to, you know, make up the gap there. Um, and their team's just not very deep and it's not going to be deep no matter how you slice it. Um, and so like you were saying, you know, they, they kind of have to go this rebuild route. And so I actually put a bunch of thoughts together in a thread 
Um, and a thread on Twitter was like 15 tweets long, but I never tweeted it because there were all these reports about Dame was going to address stuff, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to put it out there knowing that the circumstances of my thread could change. But now that I've kind of had some thoughts to to think about it, and and I knew that we were going to be on tonight, um, you know, I I have some thoughts on on that if if you don't mind. Lay them um, on me. Lay them on me. Yeah. So I, you know, I think that with Portland, like their only move could very well be just keeping, um, or excuse me, they're very well, their only play in potentially keeping Dame could very well just be firing Olshay. Um, yeah. if, and if, and if Olshay stays and the request gets made, his only play to buy himself time is to trade Dame, not for a guy like Ben Simmons, but to trade Dame for like an OKC type package. Where it's just like every pick until the end of time. Because GMs don't get fired for for embarking on huge rebuilds because like they ha- like at that point they haven't really done anything wrong. Like they they get they might get fired two or three years down the line if that rebuild goes sour. But like if you get the approval from the higher ups, you know the the owner to to start that rebuild. Like, there's not much you can do wrong for that first one or two years. Like, especially if you're trading Damian Lillard, who will bring you back a mountain of picks, and CJ McCollum will bring you back assets. Like, that, that yeah, I, I just think that that is the best way for Olshay to keep his job in the short term. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, too, you know, you, you said it really well that, you know, generally when teams go on these full-blown rebuilds, it has the full support of everybody in the organization. So it's not just, like, the owner's like, hey, man, what the hell? Like, we weren't on the same page here. Um so, you know, I'd, th- I'd, I'd truly think that they'd think about trading CJ then, too, and Rocco. Um, you know, they, they gave up two first-round picks to get Robert Covington. And that also is hamstringing them moving forward. Um, and, and we talked about their lack of depth. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a real thing. So that, I think that means no Simmons in Portland um, if Dame requests out. Um, and... Um, you know, I think that a Simmons-Dame swap, like, makes a or centered swap, where it would be like a three-team deal and Simmons would go somewhere else, makes a lot of sense for Portland from a financial perspective. Um, you know, if you're Philly, you get Dame. Portland would get Maxi and a couple, you know, lottery-protected first from Philly, and then the opportunity to reroute Simmons to, to a third team. And, and you'd get even more picks on another, you know, one or two younger long-term guys. And then a bunch of expiring money. And I think Minnesota is an interesting third team um, just based on that criteria because, you know, Portland can take Rubio, um, Beasley, Cul- and Culver, um, in addition, and Bolmero, shit, Bolmero too, if they want him, no offense. Um, <laughs> um, it, because they'd immediately shed $25 million in salary next season, like 2022, 2023 with Rubio and Culver because Culver's got a team option for 22, 23. Um, and then you get, you could potentially end up in the neighborhood of like five to seven first round picks or pick swaps. And, and Tyrese Maxey, who I think I've always, you know, I had him at six last year on my draft board. I know that means nothing to the Portland brass, but like he proved this year that he has really high potential as a, as a point guard in the league or a combo guard. Yeah. Um, Matisse Thibel is, is a guy who's, star has risen throughout the year as just one of the best perimeter defenders in the league like an insanely insanely good perimeter defender and very young team controlled contact uh, contract he's his team options this year but i think he has another year after that um 
And then you'd probably take in like George Hill or something if they needed to make it some sort of money work who is non-guaranteed. Um, and then you get, yeah, like four or five, six first round picks. Like if that's not, a, you know, a building block for a rebuild, then then I don't know what is. Yeah. And I mean, do they, does Portland do that without getting McDaniels or Nas? Like maybe, you know, it's, it's probably unlikely. But, you know, it's a starting point. Like I think that Minnesota's, like we've said, you know, Minnesota's only hope of getting Simmons is an all-star player, likely an all-star point guard, landing in Philadelphia. So Dame, Dame checks that box. And then, you know, going this route with the picks also kind of gives Portland an opportunity to negotiate with both teams because, you know, they can say, like, yeah, Philly, like, we're really open to doing this, but, like, you know, it's Dame, and you can win a title. And, or, and if you really have the opportunity to win a title – is one extra first round pick or is like the difference between like you know including Seth Curry or Matisse Tybel like the difference between those two players going to like stop you from from doing it no it's not going to um so th- so that's helpful um and, and then just running through like other options like Golden State could give up Wiggins, Wiseman, Poole and every pick they have for the rest of time to give it one last shot and and I could very well see them doing that but but i also think that you know part of the reason why golden state was so damn good at the beginning of their dynasty was because they were a really deep team and like they could very well use those other assets they have to try and fill out their bench with really high-end role players which i think would almost be smarter um you know considering both the short term and the long term because then you aren't mortgaging your entire future um but yeah, I mean, Miami doesn't have any real picks they could give up. I, I'm ruling Miami out almost completely. Um, plus two, like, I don't... And assets. Like, Miami don't have many great assets. Like, yeah. Outside of the pitch, they just don't have that young player. Like, unless unless Tyler Hero is that player, but I think his stock has fallen off pretty, you know, immensely. Uh, they're not going to give up Bam, obviously. They're, Duncan Robertson is not really a a young, you know, exciting player as much as he is a really helpful player. Um, Precious Achua, sure, again, like, like <laughs> mid, middle, yeah, middling yeah. kind of player, like Casey Okpala, again, not, like, they're just, they're not Maxis and they're not, they're not Thibbles, they're not even, you know, like, they're, Malik Beasley's. they're obviously better than Cole. Yeah, they're not Malik Beasley's, like, they're, they're better than Culver, but that's, the bar is in hell to be better than Culver. Yeah, so. and then the, the other you know, the other two teams that I have in here are the Knicks, but I think the Knicks don't even want to trade for Dame. They're, they, they're not going See, to include... The Knicks have hamstrung themselves so many times making silly moves. And not that trading for Damian Lillard is a silly move, but it just feels like at I, this point, they're, like they're finally building towards something internally and, and, and naturally. And it, it feels like it's just a huge risk for a team that's been mired in in terribleness for so long to to risk the RJ Barrett's and the Julius Randles of the world that have really put them back on on the pedestal that they have always needed to be as New York. And financially they have no real way of getting there without including Randall in a deal. So that that's another thing. So I I'm ruling them out. The most interesting one to me is Boston. Boston mm. pretty clean. Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart and Picks gets you there financially. I think and that's a re- and that's more of a retool than a rebuild because they're still like you know you, you still have good players like I, I I I and you get the picks as well and and I've, you're not 
the worst team in the West immediately, which is probably still appealing to a guy like Olshay, who whose job is teetering on the brink of and destruction. Probably at the won't moment. want to give it up. And so yeah. I figured you might say that. And so I went on the hunt for an interesting third team that you could then turn Brown and or Smart into. And I think one of the most interesting teams in the NBA that nobody talks about right now is the Orlando Magic. Hmm. The Magic have two top eight picks, all of their future picks, another first from Chicago, and they have a bunch of scattered first and seconds from other teams around the NBA um, over the course of the next six or seven seasons. So they have more than just their own picks moving forward. They have a huge expiring in Gary Harris, which is like 21, 22 million, a, a two-year deal in Terrence Ross that is like 12 million a year over the next two, which is super palatable. And you can throw Terrence Ross on a shitty team and just have him do whatever the hell he wants. And then you also have Mo Bamba as an expiring contract if you need additional expiring money that Portland wants to get off of. Like if they wanted I'm to trade them. I'm still a Mo Bamba believer. So am I. I'm still a Mo Bamba. <laughs> so am I. I will never give up the hope. Yeah, and so all of those assets make a really interesting play. Like you could trade both of those lottery picks potentially or one of them and then like two future future ones for those players and then you have a top eight pick isaac coming back fultz cole anthony and whatever the hell you're gonna do at center you like you could sign a center this offseason and and i think that's a really interesting team that is for sure a playoff team in like a middle of the pack playoff team i think if they like they're set at point guard do they want to go back to middle of the pack playoff team though because they just got out of middle of the pack playoff team but the thing though is like you know i feel like that's a projectable pretty competitive core and one that can get better rather than what they were with with vooch which was kind of just the eighth or the seventh seed every year and and never and i think it's a really balanced team too like i could see that being a team that's like borderline top 10 in offense and defense potentially yeah um so so that's one that's interesting but like my my overall thoughts just on the whole thing are like you know the sixers make the most sense for portland if dame does force his hand and simmons does not make sense for them in in that context like i could very well see portland and you know philadelphia doing like you mentioned uh, a cj ben simmons swap or something centered around that um but you know i I just don't see how that that helps philadelphia at all I, don't, I, I just think it leaves both teams in no man's land like philly probably get a little bit better but i don't think cj is the guy who wins them a championship like they need they need a shot creator wow. and they need a secondary ball handler and a guy who can play off mb but like to see is CJ McCollum the guy that's going to do it? Like he can do those things, but can he do them at a high level every he, game? He couldn't even do it as a like, Robin. So I don't know how he could yeah. do it as a Batman if he can't do it as a Robin. You know, like Dame's begging yeah. for help, and CJ couldn't help him against against one of the weakest, you know, perimeter defenses in the NBA in in Denver. Considering that Denver's guard and wing rotation was just thrashed by injuries this year between Barton, P.J. Dozier, and, and Jamal all being out. And then they also got rid of Torrey Craig, too. Like, they just didn't have as much out there. Like, you have Compazzo and Monte Morris as your two guards. And, like, you're telling me that you you couldn't go get a bucket? Like, I just I, I just don't know how that, that helps Philadelphia necessarily. And I think 
just with Minnesota, I think it just opens this other three team route that allows them to kind of get in on a big deal, which, you know, I think is really significant for them because, and, and you know, we all know it's, it's the only real way they're going to improve the team and you have to get top end talent in the building. If you want any hope at going into free agency saying and selling guys on like, this is what you could be if you came here. And so, yeah, like, like what are your thoughts about just Minnesota getting in on a big deal or, just like where where the Simmons situation is presently. Yeah, I I think like you said, it, it, it's crucial that they that they do or at least that they need to be in and around those discussions. We both know that Rosas thinks the same way. Like he's he's going to try and get in on one of these big three team deals or even just a straight swap, you know, with Minnesota and another team. But to me, outside of Simmons, I think it gets hard to to like I. I'd be surprised still if it happens. I know they'll want it to happen, but it just seems like it's it's not like they don't have they're not asset rich even though they they have a smart, you know, smart president of basketball operations and they have guys who they can move and they have good contracts like Beasley and and, and Rubio who are guys that can can facilitate deals for high-level players, but I don't know, man. It just feels like it's unlikely. Like, I don't know if you feel that same way, but it, it, to me, it feels like it's not impossible at all. Um, but it feels unlikely. And if it's not Simmons, I think it feels even more unlikely just because, like, I don't know what that if the asking price for a Miles Turner is probably a little high for them. Like, they're not going to give up Jaden McDaniels for Miles Turner. Um, are Indiana going to accept a deal that's, that's anything less than a really good young player and kind of salary fillers uh, then... T- John Collins seems less likely still to me by the day. Like I know that you kind of, we kind of came to an agreement there last time we spoke that that Collins is probably going to get matched by Atlanta if it's not the full max. I think like I think they're probably willing to give him a hundred million at this stage just to try and keep the core together. The fan base is is clearly pretty elated with how how that team has progressed and they had a really good uh, playoffs run. And I just think that, that keeping that together is a good way to keep the fans on board and to keep the, the spirits high in the Atlanta dressing room in the front office. Um, I just don't know. I just think that like who else is there that, that's going to get moved. I know every year some, there's a surprising name that, that comes up that, that gets moved or it starts to think about getting moved, but I don't know. I, I feel like it's unlikely. Um, I don't know if you have a different view on that, but I just feel like unless it's Simmons in a three-team deal with either Lillard, Lowry, or maybe even Beal, like, I don't know how Minnesota get in for for star-level player or a guy just underneath that star level. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, Minnesota inviting all these teams in town for this second combine last week um, was was really cool um, in the sense that, you know, I, I can't remember the last time anything like that has happened. Um, but I also think it's, you know, a good signal to the league that like, hey, we're open for business. And like, if you need help facilitating a trade ahead of what's going to be a monster free agency period next year, um, that Minnesota wants to get in on that. Because I think that as a third or fourth team in a deal, like it's it's easy to accru- accrue like a second round pick here, a young guy like a, a Noel Reed type of contract there, um, just for helping facilitate a deal, um, which is important. I think stating your intentions to the league and like 
starting to cultivate better relationships with with guys that you've talked about multiple times in canvassing the league, I think matters. And, um, and, and I think that it's important that Minnesota, um, you know, is, is telling teams that, that they're aggressive and, um, and overall too, I, I think it, it helps like your players too. your players know, like your top end players. I mean, that like, you know that you're doing everything in your power to to try and get this guy or that guy, um, and it's great. You know, I think Gerson has like full support of, of D'Angelo and, and Carl and Ant, um, and, and seemingly has great relationships with those guys. So hopefully, that's similar with with other front offices, kind of around the league. But I'm with you, man. It, it just seems unlikely, like super unlikely at this point that because Minnesota is pretty much just like sitting there, like. Uh, you know, just on their hands and knees, just kind of praying for like Lowry to want to go to Philadelphia over um, Miami, who was the the preferred destination reportedly for Lowry at the deadline. Um, and then the Dame thing, like, you know, I, I don't see Dame requesting a trade in the middle of the season. Like that just seems odd. I don't know the last time a huge um, megastar was traded during the season rather than... Um, you know, rather than well, at the hard, deadline. Hard and hard and this year, but hard yeah, all right, that's right, that's in right. In a weird position where he was barely even, you know, around. But the, it wasn't. It wasn't game. like a trade deadline thing. Is my, it was more yeah. my point. Like it, that was something we're like too much hope. It's too much sitting, like you said, it's too much sitting on your hands and hoping for everything else to fall into your lap. I, I think that the more likely path is that they get in on one of these deals and end up with a small asset coming back that helps their bench, like. And it's not as sexy, you know, but it's still important, I think, that they make upgrades over over the layman's and the, you know, maybe even the Vanderbilt's or the Noel's. Like, we'll get into all these all these guys after the, the ad break coming up soon. But I just think that you, if they can get helpful bench players, that's not as important as getting John Collins or getting Ben Simmons. But it's very vital for this team that has pretty you know, exciting top-end talent and, and, a, and a really steep drop-off after that top-end talent. And, and I think that's what ends up happening. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I think that those are the types of moves that are sneaky big in just, like, the overall cohesion of the team as a whole. Like, they obviously it would obviously wouldn't be, like, a Jay Crowder player, but, like, a J, like a light version of that type of player, you yeah. know, or like, you, well, do, like, can they get in for Robert Covington? Do you know what I mean? Like, if all that, this goes down, that to, was, like, can, can they get Covington or that? Like, can they get Derek Jones Jr.? Like, can they get a guy like that from a team rather than being the face of the <laughs> move? Just be the team that sneaks in and, and gets a player that they've always want. Like, you know, obviously Covington was here and they liked him. Derek Jones Jr., they chased last year. Um, you know, those kind of players, I think that's what they'll be. I think they'll shoot for the moon and they'll they'll you know land on the stars um and and that's that's good enough for me but you know I think that it's that to to pull that off you need to shoot for the moon like and I think that's that's important that they're doing that and like you said that the draft combine second combine thing that they they held in Minneapolis like smart it's just so smart because even like that like you said it just sig- signals to teams that that you're open for business like I think that was a perfect way to put it and that that even if we don't end up with Ben Simmons, we do want to end up with something. Like, we we're, we need players that help, and we're willing to facilitate your trades, get you better, if you can, you know, give us some of the, the scraps on the side. 
absolutely um let's take a break and then we will we'll get we'll change gears a little bit i want to kind of talk more about the timberwolves roster less about trades and stuff um and we'll talk a little bit about summer league and, and we'll see where we go from there i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you will hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, we are back. Um, we've done the trade talk, the the obligatory trade talk that that gets us through this long off season. Now I want to do the obligatory. Let's talk about the roster kind of kind of talk. Um, we mentioned the the draft combine that they held. Before we get into the players on this roster, what is there an archetype? Is there a a player? that you have your eyes on for an undrafted free agent or a second rounder if they end up kind of buying into the second round or, or moving a, 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 a culver or something to get into the second round? Is there a guy that, that piques your interest or, or just an archetype of player that you think that, that they need to kind of zero in on? Yeah, I think something for the Timberwolves is is we saw a lot of Nas Reed and, and Kat playing together, um, at least relative to the first part of the season. Um, once Finch took over, and I thought that that was really interesting. Um, but I, but I do think it kind of creates, you know, interesting opportunity in your rotation for more of a traditional five or rim running big, um, because D'Angelo Russell was was dynamite with with Jared Allen in um, in Brooklyn, um, and and Finch is extremely creative, um, and and has had you know rim running bigs, um, in in his previous stops, and so I think that. The opportunity to kind of pair that as a look that you can throw for three, four minutes over the course of you know two quarters in a game um, can really help you. And just adding like some stability in an offense that can help D'Angelo Russell get rhythm um, is really great. You know, I think that there was hope that Jared Vanderbilt could be that guy, but you know he's six eight, six nine, maybe a short six nine, uh, and he just doesn't have the best hands, unfortunately. And I, and I. You know, he's a really good perimeter defender, which is awesome. Um, but but it's just not that guy rim rolling. So I think that that, that uh is an archetype that, that the wolves should look at. And I know that I know that you, me, and Tyler Metcalf are all the way in on, on one player. And funny enough, he just so happens to be a Minneapolis native. Um and uh yeah, it, it, I'll I'll let you I'll let you get that party started, but but yeah, it's it's kind of funny that that we're all just seemingly all in on this player. <laughs> yeah, well, we but just before we started recording, we we were just talking a little bit bit about what we we're going to talk about, and we both said like 
you know, what kind of archetypes do we like for undrafted free agents or for, for late second rounders? And we both, like you said, said rim runner. And then almost, you know, uh, simultaneously, we both said Jericho Sims. Um, this is a guy who is just a freak athlete, man. Like, uh, maybe the best athlete in the draft, like, especially, I guess, uh, at, at that size. Like, there's probably better better leapers than him, but at that size, he's just, just an amazing kind of uh, vertical athlete. He's six foot ten. He's two hundred forty five pounds. Uh, played for Texas. I don't know if I just said that, but um, you know, just just that kind of prototypical rim runner. Like gets up and down the floor fast. Gets down the lane fast. Can play and pick and roll. He's not very skilled outside of that, but he can defend. He can he can switch uh, move his feet on the perimeter a little bit as well, which is. Um, really encouraging, but I just think like that's the kind of guy like that. That 2015 DeAndre Jordan archetype has died off a little bit, but the players who do it and the players who get minutes doing it are really helpful players still. And I spoke about this with Dane a little bit uh, a few weeks ago. This roster just has so many guys that 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 archetype would would benefit. Obviously, D'Lo is the first one that comes to mind. I think Cat can play, you know, there's, there's minutes Cat can play with that guy, you know, when you're running double drags with one guy rolls and, and Cat pops, like, Anthony Edwards can use a good screener who who puts pressure on the rim and can help him in pick and roll game. Leandro Balmaro, that's that's where it came up with Dane. Like, that's a guy who, who thrives with good role men. Um, and, and obviously, if you want, if they want him to come in and be an impact player straight away, which is still up for debate whether that can happen in his first year. I think that, that you need to pair him with guys who really um, supplement his skill set. And I just think that, that although it's kind of a dying breed, it's it's really valuable still in the right setting. And it, it, like you said, I think it's a guy who plays 10 minutes a night. It's a guy who, who comes in for energy and, and, and might get four points and a couple of rebounds and a blocked shot. But put some pressure on the rim as, as a vertical spacer. And yeah, I, I'm all the way in on Jericho Sims. I think his stock has been rising slightly, so maybe he isn't an undrafted um, target anymore. But that kind of guy, which there's other ones too, like, you, you know, uh, Ariel Huckporty. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying his name right because every time I watch it, they say it differently on the broadcast. But he's he's the same kind of guy, like just... Like makes a huge impact around the rim and the liability outside the paint, but but really just a guy who who brings it as a role man. And I don't know if that's what they're looking for. Like like Rosas has never seemed to be uh, an admirer of that type of player, but through what he's been saying lately, or or in the few times that we get to hear him, I think he's definitely softened on his stance of just small ball is is what's going to win this team games, and and maybe inside that softening is is him kind of turning around a little bit to a guy who's just a straight up big man who who plays like a big man like a like an old school big man and and I'm excited to see if if they could get a guy like that on a two-way deal and maybe you know play him a few minutes here and there doing some time with the Iowa Wolves just just experiment a little bit and I think that's the best start, best place to start this experiment yeah I mean you know, I think we saw more experimentation with Rosas with rim running bigs with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, um, the G League team that, that he kind of captained while he was in while he was in Houston. Um, 
And, and I think that that type of stuff is really important. Like, you know, I, I don't think it hurts at all to, to have that type of player. Um, because yeah, you can still go small, but I mean, you, you still need opportunities where you can play multiple or you can play a style of game, you know, a style of, of basketball that, that the game calls for. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. just look at the playoffs this year. Like, I mean, with, I like to look specifically at the Clippers and Sun Series for this conversation. Like, both teams went back and forth between playing small, playing big, trying to throw different matchups out there at different points in the game, whether it be the end of the first quarter. Like, the rotations were were different almost every single game because both coaches were trying to make adjustments and mismatches. And, like, I just don't think you can pigeonhole yourself into, you know, into one play style. Um, and I think the right. only team of late that, that really has been able to do that and do it successfully is the Warriors. When the Warriors were just elite, you know, for, for, for all those years. Um, and the Timberwolves obviously are not the Warriors and they're not going to be the Warriors. And I think, you know, if you're just betting on someone like Jericho Sims, who is 6'10", he's got a seven three and a half wingspan, he's got great hands, catches almost everything, um, you know, his first and second leaps are both faster than almost anybody I've ever seen in my entire life on the offensive glass. Um, you know, the fact that you could potentially get him, like you were saying for Jarrett Culver, or maybe trade like a future second round pick to get in and get in a guy like him. Like you just want to bet on those measurables and you want to bet on that athleticism. And, and for that price, like it's, exactly. Yeah. Like it. how can you not? And, and two, like, throw him in the G league and see what happens. Like say like, all right, this is probably the role that we're going to have you in. Like let's, let's try and find a, you know, a guard that can play in the G league that can sort of simulate what D'Angelo Russell is able to do in the pick and roll um, and play that way too. Like the other thing is Jericho Sims also played with a left-handed point guard at Texas and Matt Coleman. And so that that's another thing that I think is, is interesting because I think having to relearn footwork and screening on opposite sides of the ball, um, you know, more so in the NBA than you do in college, I think is, is an adjustment for some players because the footwork is totally different. Um, and so that's, that's a guy that I think I'm really interested from that perspective. But other than that, I think the Timberwolves just need shooting, man. They need shooting and size on the wing. Um, and I think they need a point guard as well. That's, that's, I, I think that all depends on Jordan McLaughlin. Like, do you think they give him another deal? Like, are they trying to bring him back? They need a third string point guard, I think, because we saw this year when when uh, D'Lo was hurt and Rubio was in the COVID protocols. Like, it kind of it got thin real quick, and, and McLaughlin wasn't that great this year. I think he got better towards the end of the year, and I know he had his struggles with COVID as well. So. I don't want to kind of, you know, pin it all on him and we have seen him play really good basketball, but I just think that a, a McLaughlin type of happy to be a third string, third stringer, like that's the kind of play I think you need as well. Yeah, I mean, I just don't, he's a restricted free agent again, so I'd imagine that the Timberwolves will extend a qualifying offer to him just to, to keep his restricted status. Um, but, um, you know, in, I, I could see a world in which J-Mac wants to leave and go somewhere else and like, yeah, try and I have think a fresh start. Which, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And so, I think buying in on a point guard would be something that that would be interesting, provided that the point guard can shoot. Um, 
So, yeah. I mean... And I think they tried it last year with Ashton Hagens. Like, it didn't work out. But I think that was the plan, was to get another one in there, the, an undrafted guy. Yeah, and I mean, the Timberwolves had an open two-way slot for the second half of the season last year and didn't do anything with it, which I thought was outrageous because it doesn't count anything against the cap or luxury tax. So, um, the fact that they didn't... And the player can practice now an unlimited amount with the NBA team. So, you know, I, I'd look for the Timberwolves to, to for sure... Um, you know, for sure bring in some type of guard, um, at least at the very least on a two-way deal, whether that be McLaughlin or somebody else. But yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. And then, like I said, shooting on the wing, I'm, I'm really biased. I'm a huge Michigan fan. Um, but Isaiah Livers is a guy who I think is just very NBA ready in terms of the way he plays and his body too. Um, you know, I, Isaiah Livers is a guy who's like six seven, six eight. um, probably slots in there, you know, right around 225, 230 pounds. Um, you know, he, he might be a tad slower, um, but I could see Isaiah Livers from an offensive perspective kind of having a career similar to what Robert Covington's been able to do. Whereas they, you know, obviously very different players in college, but just from an offensive perspective and the way that Rocco, you know, can set a good screen, um, can, you know, can – dribble the ball a little bit and pull up into a jumper um, and can get downhill and attack the rim if you give them the space to because they're comfortable with the ball in their hands and they're decent finishers around the rim. Um, you know, he's obviously, you know, a senior, so so that's that's a bit of a difference there. But, um, yeah, he, he's another guy that, that I think would be great and is probably a guy that's going to be there right towards the end of the draft or even be an undrafted free agent potentially. I think I think they're the I think the seniors are the guys that you want on two way deals. Um, obviously, if you're picking high in the draft, I'm I'm very against picking twenty two year olds in the top ten. Um, it's just I think it's just kind of really minimizes the potential for for superstardom. Um, when you're picking a guy who's already so far along in his development, but I think at this stage, if you if you're talking about undrafted free agents and and two way deals or late second rounders, I think they're the guys you want because they're the most ready guys in general they're ready to to play and to, to kind of be what they are and Isaiah Livers is a good shout I think like that's a guy who's, you know shot what 43% from three on five attempts you know he's been an elite free throw shooter especially the last two years which kind of stamps the fact that he can shoot the hell out of the ball like that's the kind of guy that obviously not to a Cam Johnson level because he was drafted high for a reason and and was always going to be a first rounder, even even if we did think that he was drafted way too high by Phoenix at the time. But like those guys who are tall, strong, or strong enough to compete, you know, against NBA athletes and can shoot the ball, like it's a very very good foundation for a role player. And, and sometimes that's all you need from a role player. Like if that translates, then you have a guy who can play fifteen minutes a game. Like and Minnesota have got better at shooting. You know, they're not the team that has no three-point shooters like, like they were a few years ago, but they're still light there. Like, especially if Malik Beasley gets moved in a trade this year, like, outside of Towns and, and Russell, you don't really have any other guys who, who stretch the floor at a really high level. Jaden McDaniels probably, but, you know, like, like I've been really looking at, at, at floor spacing lately for an article that, I, that I'm working on um, and, and shot gravity and... You know, you can be a shooter and not be a floor spacer. You need to be a guy who can, who, and I don't think, I honestly, I don't think Jade McDaniel right now is a guy who stretches, spaces the floor because teams don't 
respect him enough to not help off him if they have to, to not, you know, come and can come and tag towns like on a roll or or come and uh help from the nail on D'Angelo Russell or on Anthony Edwards if they get past their man. Like when if you need to find more guys who who space the floor. Malik Beasley does, because they don't help off Malik Beasley at the nail because he hits threes in a variety of different ways. They don't help off Carl Anthony Towns ever because he just, you know, splashes threes from, from any which way. So um, finding more guys who can shoot the ball like that, the odds are you're probably not going to find a guy like that outside of the draft, but but taking a shot on it, putting them in the G League, seeing what they can do, you know, I think that's, that's good business. Yeah, I mean, and the one thing that's unfortunate with, with Livers is he had, he had surgery um, surgery because of a stress fracture in his foot in April. Um, and he'll probably be out about six months, so probably would miss, um, obviously, summer league and um, and maybe the first part of camp. But um, but again, like I, I just think he's a guy that you, you his game is going. I, I just don't see a way in which his game does not translate um, yeah. in, into being a role player at the very least. Um, so yeah, I, I, my my biggest things for the Timberwolves um, are. Get a backup five that can rim runners, more of a traditional center, um, in in the sense that you know they are are legitimately very large, can rebound and can can rim run, and then and then size and shooting on the wing wherever you can get it, man. Um, you know I think that that takes priority over defense because if you you need to figure your offense out and you need to. Get guys to if you get everybody playing cohesively on the defensive end, even if you don't have good defenders, you can have a passable defense. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I think that that like offense needs to be your your kind of your chief concern there. But um, yeah, I mean, especially just with the role players that the Timberwolves have now, like like what guys do they have on the wing that are legitimately big and actually play minutes? Well, that that transfers us into the to the what we wanted to speak about next, which is envisioning these these roles of the bench players. And, and we had a, a Twitter conversation with a few people um, a few nights ago, and Jalen Noel was the subject of that, that conversation. And that's that's my trepidation with, with Noel, is I just don't think he's big enough to, to be a guy who, who warrants immediate, you know, for sure in the rotation kind of status. And I like Jalen Noel, and I think you're kind of... Um, more against me than with me here then I just think that at six foot four I, I, which is you know almost seems generous at times because he's just not a big dude I just think it's hard on this team when you have Beasley and you have Russell um Akogi plays bigger than he is but you know he's still small Rubio's there as your backup point guard like they're just they the players who do good things offensively are all very small and I think Noel is the guy that that might get left out there so so Starting with him, like, do you think that that his role increases, decreases? You know, kind of stays in that that inconsistent area that it was this year. Like, like, where do you see him at next year? I, I think it it completely hinges on whether or not Malik Beasley is on the team next year, because I think mm-hmm. Noel is kind of a a, a Beasley facsimile. Um, and and the other thing too is is like, I, I think with with shooters that are elite in college and have a lot of leash as offensive players. And they're, they're asked to do more than just shoot the ball. Like Noel was at, at Washington. I mean, he was the Pac-12 player of the year at Washington. Um, 
you know, I, I think the guys like that struggle to to translate to the NBA when then their minutes are extremely spotty and they don't really have the opportunity to find a rhythm. And it's like when you played Jalen Noel consistent minutes every day in, in Iowa, you shot 44% on like seven or eight attempts from three per game. Um, I mean, and, and, and I'll just take that, that sample. Um, you know, I, you know, some people may care more about, you know, the fact that, um, you know, the fact that he hasn't shot it quite as well, uh, at the, at the NBA level. And like, I understand that, but he shot 44% on 181 threes in the G league shot 39.6% on 227 threes in college. So I just trust that sample a lot more. And to be honest with you, in terms of his role, I think he needs to get secondary creation minutes off the bench too. Like I'd love to see what Noel and and D'Angelo Russell, like a lineup, a backcourt that was like that played, um, what would play like together. Um, Just because, you know, I I think if you can get Noel more spot up opportunities, that that would be really good for him or or opportunities where, okay, he makes one and the defense kind of closes out to him harder and he's able to, attack a little bit and get to that mid-range pulley um that, that he showed that he's he can a, get to and he's got a good floater he's too. An elite, he's an elite mid-range shooter why like all of his shot mechanics are way too good for me to just write him off and for the timberwolves to not play him because there there could be oh, a yeah. work- he's a he's a good shooter he's a good shooter man yeah like, i'm with you there he he's, he's a good shooter like he's he's been streaky but even this season i just i don't know what his numbers ended up at but it felt like they were better than probably what they did, right? Like I think that, I think that last season, uh, his first season, he kind of shot like three of twenty-two or something in the limited minutes he had. Um, this year, he he got more run, and even as a streaky shooter, I think he, he's a guy who can hit tough shots, and like not all three-point shots are created equal, you know. Like guys who can hit shots off the dribble, um, they that's a way more impactful shot and also a harder shot to hit like Luka Doncic shoots what 32 33 percent from three like but he's not a bad shooter like then sometimes the numbers need to be put into context and I think Noel was thrusts at times he he, he had a weird role because at times he was not on the court at all at other times he was just a purely spot-up shooter and then probably way too much he was tasked as like an offensive engine for the second unit. And I just think that if you can, you can unburden him or, you know, if you can take some of that create creation burden off him, that's when you start to, to see the best, the best version of him. You still need to give him enough to let him work in the mid range, to let him get to that floater, to let him shoot, shoot threes like out of pick and roll. But you don't want to overload him to the point where he's the guy carrying your offense. And, and I, I'm, Rewatching, you know, the second half of the Timberwolves season right now, and and those first few games out of the All Star break, um, the the New Orleans win, big win, and then a couple against the couple of games against Portland, where Ant kind of cemented himself as as what we think he is now. Noel was the sole operator in that second unit, um, and he didn't look that good. But when they put Anthony Edwards next to him in those kind of mixed units that's when he started to look really good because Edwards would take half the possessions as the, as the ball handler and Noel would take the other half. I just think, to me, that's the the ideal role for him. And I agree that, that that's contingent on Beasley not being here because Beasley's going to get those, those shooting guard minutes, especially if they 
do want to bring him off the bench. But I just think that Noel's he's a very specific player, I think, to, to maximise him. And I think if you don't maximise him, he, he he begins to get a little bit more harmful than he than he should be, if that makes sense. I'm with you completely. Um, and, and like you said, not all numbers are equal. And I, and I just want to offer this up. So Jalen Noel, um, Jalen Noel this season, um, you know, with the Timberwolves, obviously, and just really like in, in his career, like ha- hasn't necessarily been the best three-point shooter at the NBA level. So he shot... You know, he, he shot, what, what is it here? So he shot 33, or excuse me, 30% on 176 threes in his career. This season, he shot 33% on, on 153s. But, but Jalen Noel was not healthy for the last six games. He was not anywhere close to 100% his last six games. He was dealing with a bruised tibia, and when your lower body is a shooter who has a lot of lift on your shot, when your tibia is injured, you're, you're just you're kind of screwed. And so from my opinion, after I also rewatched almost all of the second half of the games. And in my opinion, I don't think he was close to hundred percent. The last six games, he shot three of 18 from three in those games. So if you remove that from his season sample, which I personally do not think is too much bending of the sample at all. And then factor in, you know, the first four games of the Finch era. Under Chris Finch, he used 29 of 76. 76 threes, yeah, I get it. Not the biggest sample size, whatever. But 76 is a lot different than like 30 or 40, which is what we're working off of with some Bolmero stuff from from overseas. (laughs) That's 38%. um, And that's much closer to what I think he's actually capable of doing. And he's a player that I think is worth giving rope to just because that type of that type of offense that he can bring when he's on is needle moving. I think for the Timberwolves in certain games Um, and being a needle mover for five, six, seven minutes of a game, that could be the difference between winning and losing a game. And um, you know, I think we saw some of it in the preseason last year of just like he can get in his own and that's important. And especially if you trade Malik Beasley and even if you don't like guys are going to get hurt. Guys are not going to be healthy. You're going to need offense where you can get it. And keeping a guy like Noel in the rotation, even if it's like eight, nine, ten minutes a night to just go out there and chuck, I'm all for it because, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm such a believer in rhythm shooters. And I think Noel, especially like, if you're going to end up in situations where like Wancho's going to be hurt, Wancho's not going to play probably until March. And if, yeah. and if that's the case, like your, your shooting options are just limited off the bench and you might have to go small when you're playing, when you're playing with the bench, or you might just have to do more, you know, mixing of the starters in the bench um, to, to create lineups where you're not getting killed defensively. Um, and, and again, like it's on the coaches to figure out, the best possible ways to, to get these players to fix to, to, to fit together. But I think that I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised at what they see from Jalen Noel at summer league this year, for sure. Um, I don't want to keep you and the listeners too long. So let's get into, we'll leave the summer. We'll come back next week. We'll do the, we'll do the full summer league talk because that probably requires, you know, a whole episode to itself. But thinking of these roles for these, um, these end of bench guys or these bench guys in general, I think, you know, Rubio, we can probably 
step over because we know that if he's on the team, he's going to be the backup point guard. Like, and he'll probably play a little bit with D'Angelo Russell. I think that's kind of just what Rubio is right now. Um, whether he's on the team is a different discussion, but but we'll like you know we'll park that. Jarrett Culver, I know you are not a Culver fan, and I am not either. So we'll we'll leave him. We, I think we both think that he's not going to be in the rotation to start the year. Um, I actually think he is going to be in the rotation to start the year. I think that's a crazy. That might be a crazy statement right now, but I would not be surprised at all if Culver plays well in a closed door environment, and they're like, you know what, fuck it, we're back on the train. And he plays and, well and again in the he's preseason. On the team, Rosas is going to push to play him if he seems like he deserves I, it. I just, I don't know. And it's not saying that I want him to or that I think he should. I'm just thinking that, like, there might be a point where the Timberwolves are like, all right, man, we, we need defense out there. Yeah. And who knows what the roster is going to look like. like. They may make trades. I'm, I'm not sure. Obviously, like we discussed earlier, but. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, I would love to just see him like go to the G League and just like destroy people in the G League and then come up and like. I don't even know if cool, he has but... that in him, but which is sad. Which is the... yeah. And by destroying, I mean just like playing well for his standards. But <laughs> um, what about Vando? What about Jared Vanderbilt? Um, he in these second, you know, in these rewatches of games, he's a guy who stood out to me as maybe even with his flaws, a little bit more valuable than I thought. Him and Jake Lehman are both guys that I think can operate, you know, can be handy players in the right situations like Noel. Like, how, how high are you on, on Vanderbilt and how high are you on Lehman? All right, so if we want to go, like, a scale of 1 to 10, where 10's like I'm super high and 1's like not that high. Yeah, rel- I- relative to what they, their role would likely be in your mind. I think with Vando, I'm like a six and a half or a seven. And the reason being is I think that we saw some good defensive creativity from Finch in the second half of the season, you know, and potentially Vanderbilt or uh, Vanderpool as well. Um, I don't want to discredit him if he was involved, but um, yeah, with the way that they used Vanderbilt and Akogi, kind of the two of three Vanderbilt, Akogi, McDaniels in defending pick and rolls. Um, I thought that the way that they you know, showed kind of some preliminary foundational um, switch everything tactics when those guys were on the floor were really promising. Um, and Vanderbilt is a much better perimeter defender than I ever thought he was going to be. I didn't think that he was going to be a better perimeter defender than he was interior defender, but, um, you know, that's where he we are. Has, and, he's, he's, a, he's an advanced stats darling, like... Jared Van, by every advanced stats, the ones I trust, the ones I don't trust, like, defensively, it's all, there's always noise with defensive advanced stats, but, like, Jared Vanderbilt rates highly, very highly, in pretty much all of them, like, at some, in some cases, like, top 10 defender in the league, highly, like, yeah, he's doing something right. Yeah, it's a small sample, but he's also really versatile as a defender, like, I, there are two, like, basketball index versatility rankings, like, he is really high in that, which is really valuable. I mean, the potential that you could have, you know, three guys that could defend one through four in him, McDaniels and Akogi um, is awesome. Like, and and I think he's going to be back in Minnesota. I don't really think there's a doubt about that. Just considering that, that he was in Louisville with D'Lo and Kat this week and Finch uh, at D'Lo's camp. 
he's been he's been at a couple of different Lynx games this summer. He's been in Minnesota. Um, you know, I, I'd be shocked if, if he wasn't back in the Timberwolves long term. Um, but but yeah, man, I, I'm I'm big on him. Um, you know, just kind of relative to to what he did this year, just because I think that he becomes more valuable if the Timberwolves move away from a drop and, and start switching a lot more, which I think is going to happen. Um, yeah. And two, I, I, you know, I think the way that the Timberwolves are going to do a lot of handoff sets for Ant, um, but also for D'Lo too, is like a rhythm shooter and a guy who can then get into the mid range. I, th- I think that that's going to be important. Um, and, and he's really good at, at faking handoffs and, and kind of diving to the rim and, and driving. So, um, so that's one that I, I think is, is going to be kind of sneaky, sneaky, uh, impactful on the offensive end. Layman, rotation or no rotation? Uh, how much are the Timberwolves down by? <laughs> if they're down 20 like plus, throw his ass in the rotation, baby. He's like an ultimate Jake, spark Jake plug. Like... always going to be one of those guys that just I know is not really good enough to be on a good team's rotation, but I'll always enjoy when he's on the court. Yeah, like I, I, I do think that there's value in Jake Layman, though, because I, I think that Jake Layman, like, could be sneaky good at like teaching Jaden McDaniels, Josh Akogi, and Anthony Edwards about cutting. Cause like, and I'm just I, a very smart player. Like I, I, I'm a sucker for a guy who's just very smart, even if his talent level kind of doesn't, you know, stack up in the same way. But just even defensively, like he just does the right things defensively a lot. He's never going to stand out, but he just, I feel like the defense is always a little bit better when he's on the floor because he just makes the right rotations. Like, he's good at low man help. Like, he's just the guy, I think, that that does the right things. But he's just, you know, he doesn't really do much offensively. If he's three-point shots not falling, he's just not, you know, not really an impactful player. But I, I don't know. I, I, I like Jake Lehman. I agree that he probably shouldn't be in the rotation, but he's a guy that, that I'll always enjoy seeing when he is in it. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely think that he's a guy that's worth keeping on your team. But potentially even after this contract. I don't know what the team thinks of him. I don't know what he thinks of the team. But he seems like a guy where if you have an injury one night here or there, or like a guy gets in foul trouble, or like he could come in and like feasibly be a boost to your team, or at the very least just like not be someone who is actively harming your team's chances of winning when he's out there, you know? But it's just a guy that's like you don't want to consistently have out there in every single game, you know? Um, so mm-hmm. I think being situationally like smart and aware about the way that they deploy him, um, will be, will be important, but, but generally speaking, just for like a guy who's like more towards an end of the bench guy, I think as far as end of the bench guys go, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high on him. Like you were saying, just because of how smart he is and just like overall his, his high competency level, I think is, is important. Who are, there's no one else really I think that that is very kind of important to talk about. I think Noel was the one that to me is kind of teetering on the edge. Um, Josh Akogi, let's finish on Josh. I know he's out uh, doing the Olympic warm-ups right now, playing point guard, just doing J.O. things. We're big J.O. fans just like we are, you know, in that same layman kind of way, which we, we know sometimes he can't be on the court, but we love him anyway. Um, what do you think? I don't think they're going to look to trade Josh. Like I think that he's kind of the pl- a player that that seems to be well liked by pretty much all of the coaches that he's ever had. Um, 
but what do they do with him? Like, like where does he come in? Where does he factor into this equation? Man, it's a hard. He might be the hardest one of the of the whole lot. I yeah. I mean, it, it stinks that we don't get to see him in summer league. Like, I I know he's probably like too old and too experienced to be in summer league. Um, but I, but I think that his like leadership is just so valuable. And I think that Mm. players gravitate towards him and his energy is so infectious in in a good way. I, he's chaotic. Good. You know, like, like, I just think that some, some, some fans are turned off by that and that's fine. But, um, you know, I think in terms of his role, I mean, he's the best individual one-on-one defender the Timberwolves have. In my opinion, I don't think Jaden McDaniels is there yet. I think Jaden McDaniels has shown flashes and strides, and it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the season, Jaden McDaniels is the best individual one-on-one team defender that the Timberwolves have. But, you know, man, the Timberwolves are bottom six or seven in the league in, um, in, in percentage of unassisted um, two-point midfield goals at the rim. Meaning basically like guys are just getting beat off the dribble and taken to the rim, you know, in in ter- at like the six in top six highest rates in the in, in the NBA, yeah. which is which is terrible. And and if you're having a bunch of guys that are just getting beat one on one off the dribble, like that's a problem. And you need guys that can that can be stoppers. And especially again, if you're going to going to kind of transition into a more switch heavy defensive system, which it sounds like the Timberwolves are, or going to be able to play zone. Having a guy with the length and strength that, of Josh Okogi, um is really important, man. And and I like the I like him starting if the Timberwolves don't acquire a better power forward, um, just because I think bringing Beasley off the bench makes more sense. So you have a more balanced second unit. Um, but yeah, I think Okogi is is going to be a situational player this year in the sense that he'll get he'll get way more burn. Um, He'll get way more burn against teams like Dallas, where he's got to guard Luca, or Brooklyn, where he's got to guard Harden, and, and stuff like that. But but I think if, if he can kind of stick in those corners offensively, um, and shoot shoot those corner threes or or cut from the baseline, um, I, I think that's that's probably the right offensive role role for him. Yeah, I th- I think you just go Bruce. I think you Bruce Brown him. You know, like I know he doesn't have the touch on those floaters like Bruce Brown, but like I love, I love the idea of just running Josh Okogie as a as a roll threat, as a as a dribble handoff initiator. Like I think that they started to play around with that a little bit towards the end of the season. Finch, especially as, as a screen setter and as a roll guy who can who can pass on the short roll, because he can do that. Josh, like he he's a really he's got really good vision when he's not out of control. And he's less likely to be out of control if he just takes one dribble off a short roll and then hits a corner shooter. Like, I, I, that's the best way to to minimize, you know, he, he's, he's, his foibles, which is kind of not being able to shoot. You, you get him inside the like inside the the arc, and, and then defenses only have to kind of take a, a step or two towards him, and all of a sudden he can he can create space for himself rather than being out in the three point line and allowing defenders to kind of zone off him and, and and make life 
easy for for the for the defense, especially when Carl Anthony Towns is going to be in post up situations a lot. So and, and I th- I, I'm I'm with you there. And I think he got a lot better at cutting last season. Um, and just overall having more spacing and shooting on the floor. Um, I, I think really helped him. And I think he and Jaden specifically got a lot better at cutting from the weak side to collapse the backside of the defense for shooters in the corners. Um, or two to just like force defenders to kind of think about where they are on the floor and kind of get lost for a second, which creates, you know, whether it be an entry, an easier entry pass for cat or a swing, swing shot, whatever it is. Those are small things that that can really kind of open up an offense and, and help other guys get going. So, um, you know, as he just adds more to kind of that, you know, off ball ancillary kind of toolkit, I think I think he'll be a much more playable, playable guy. Um, but but definitely a guy that but I think will be heavy in the rotation this year, regardless of the moves that they make, and, and a guy who I, I don't think that they're gonna include in, in any type of trade. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's leave it at that. We, we, I've taken up enough of your time. Um, you got anything to plug quickly before we before we get out of here? Um, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna be starting some player review stuff. Um, that'll that'll hopefully run from now up until the start of the season. Um, now that you know we've kind of got some some Timberwolves stuff coming, so I'm I'm starting with Jalen Noel. I'm hoping for that to be out Monday. Um, if you're listening to this on on Saturday in the United States, I'm hoping that'll be out Monday. If not, maybe maybe Tuesday, uh, early next week. But that, that, that series will kind of just be looking at, um, you know, just general thoughts on, on a player, uh, maybe an interest, some interesting stats, if their role changed from, from Saunders to Finch. Um, something I think they got to work on if they, if they want to be better and something that, that they showed flashes of that, um, that I believe in um, for next season. So that'll, that'll involve some, some stats and, and film stuff. Um, for, for each player. So that, that's starting with Jalen Noel, um, hopefully Monday. And, that, and that'll be out on, on Candace Hoopers, of course. Guaranteed to be great, um, as all Jack Borman work is. Um, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, I appreciate it. We, will, we did mean to talk about the Summer League. If you heard me say that at the start and you waited for me to, to get to it, I'm, I apologize because... We've just gone too long to, to start another huge subject, but we will get back into into the virtual booth uh, soon enough and, and talk some summer league as that's coming up in a, just under three weeks, I think. So we will do a full yeah, summer league we'll, episode. And, and hopefully we'll have some more clarity too about, about Anthony Edwards' status for summer league, which I which I think will, will significantly impact that conversation. So it could be kind of a blessing in disguise there. Um, yeah, right. Um yeah, we'll, we'll get into that next week. Thanks again for coming on, and um, I appreciate you, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me.